organized and waiting for the last few people to come here. Somebody give me chapter one. Better than angels. Thank you very much, preacher. Uh, good sermon. Number two. Chapter number two. Don't drift away. Keep remembering that lesson for today. Number three. Jesus better than? Moses. Thank you very much. Number four. Another one needed to remember today. I had that early. Number five then. Number five. Chapter number five. He's the better high priest. Chapter number 6. Hope is the anchor of the soul. Remember that one for today too. Chapter number 7. Christ's priesthood is superior. Who, was, who did we talk about a lot in chapter number 7? Melchizedek. But he's superior to Melchizedek. Number 8. We're getting close to where we've been studying. Chapter number 8. We're glad to better tabernacle. Better tabernacle, better covenant. Actually, number nine is the better tabernacle. So close. We're we're, we're just working on those recently. And chapter number ten today. Jesus is a perfect sacrifice. Excellent. Really good job. So, Mitch and I have an assignment for you. In addition to preparing the class for Wednesday and Sunday, we're going to be talking about these great characters of faith. And we we've, we've heard lessons about this. We we've read about this. All of our Christian lives, I know. What um, what we would like for you to do is uh, you can be looking at the list, and I'm going to go around. I want everybody who will to volunteer to come back on either Wednesday or Sunday, depending. I know some people can't make it back on Wednesday, but we're going to do this both Wednesday and Sunday. There's two things I want you to come back ready to report and do. We're not going to write a paper. We're not going to write a high school paper or college paper. I want you to think about these characters in two ways. Number one, why do you think they're a character of faith? What does the Bible tell about them? What did they do that would make them make this list? Because the Hebrew writer is going to use these characters to encourage the Hebrews not to give up. Okay? So what made them that character of faith? And the second thing is, what does the Bible say about them as a human? What's their weakness? Were all these people perfect men and women? Or did they have some place they started and they grew to a person of faith? So just think about identifying those two things. Just a short... Um, Rahab was a character of faith because she did what? I won't, I won't do the work for you, but she did what? What about Rahab would, would help you to know that she didn't start off as this character of faith? Because the whole point is... The Bible is full of people that are used to encourage us that aren't perfect. And guess what we are? Not perfect. And so we think about these people as if they are these great people that we could never attain and do what they've done, and yet we actually are exposed to them as people who have the same kind of flaws and characteristics that, that we can identify. Okay, so I told you about that long enough, so um, we'll just start. Michelle, you get, you're on the front row. You get to make the first pick. Who do you want to take? So the list is going to get shorter as we go here. Abel. Okay. Thank you. Natalie? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Pick one. Just anyone. Well, you can look it up. It's easy to look up online. Uh, Sarah. Okay, Sarah. Dennis. I'll take Samson. Okay. Just keep calling them out here. We'll just go down the road. Uh, Rahab. I'll... Okay. Tony, good deal. All right. Let's see. Okay. Gideon. Okay. 
Very good. Keep going. I'm going to take it. Not uh, an easy one for me, but Jephthah. Jephthah? Okay. Well, you're right. That's not an easy one. No idea. <laughs> so. All right. Super. Okay. Joe? Joe's got Moses. Got to keep it short. Moses got a lot, but got to keep it short when we do this. No. All right. Super. Sorry. <laughs> What's that? I was going to say Moses, and I was going to say Noah. We got Enoch, we got Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. They're still on the list. Joseph. Okay. Isaac. All right. Samson. Samson. Oh, no, Dennis already got Samson. Sorry. We got David, Samuel, Barak. One per person, right? <laughs> One per person. We also have Enoch, Jacob. Uh, I'll do Jacob. Okay. <clears throat> All right. I'll do Enoch. Enoch. Margie, let's see. We've got. We've got, we, get, we need. A, we need an Abraham, a Barak, a David, and a Samuel, or the Israelites. I'll do a Gideon. We got. This, we got Gideon already. Somebody tell me, Gideon. <laughs> we can do trades after class. Who's <laughs> Abraham. Uh, oh, okay, I'll do Abraham. Okay. Enoch. I think Enoch's available, right? And Enoch is, no, we got Enoch's there. So the Israelites of the Red Sea, the Israelites of Jericho, Barak, David, and Samuel. Okay, Samuel. David Bayrak or Israelites? David. Okay. Oh, it's you, Oh, uh, give me uh, Israelites at Red Sea. Okay. Oh, the Israelites at Jericho. <laughs> okay. And so we got Bayrak. We got Bayrak later. You want to do Bayrak by the, by week from Sunday? A week from Sunday, do uh, Bayrak like a two-minute thing about Bayrak. Would that be good? Okay, gotcha. All right. And I'll remind you to do that. We'll, we'll talk about that. So thank everybody for doing that. This is a this is an opportunity for for you to to drive the conversation here. Because sometimes we as the teachers we get to drive the conversation. That's part of being a teacher, right? You want to do that. But I think as we all look at these characters, hopefully when we get through with that, we'll go. There's somebody I kind of identify with that we talked about here and. That's kind of how I've started, and wow, that inspires me to keep growing because look what this person did that, um, that got them actually mentioned by the Hebrew writer. So, um, with that, appreciate everyone uh, getting ready for that. So, we'll start on Wednesday night. We'll have some, I think Mitch will do some introductions on Wednesday night. We'll pull some of these characters out, we'll talk about them, and then the next Sunday we'll do the same thing, and then there's kind of a closing of the chapter that, that I'll do on that. But we'll try to gather kind of the information on the board that you bring here so that we can look at that. So, with that, Let's jump into uh, Hebrews, the 10th chapter. We, we really, um, we talked about how this verse, uh, last Wednesday night, we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We know that this chapter's theme is Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. This is why he's perfect. He only had to offer the sacrifice once. The sacrifice was so much better than what they had experienced as the Jewish people. They had to sacrifice over and over again which we actually talked about Wednesday night, 
the Hebrew writer says, is evidence that the sacrifices were ineffective. Jesus' sacrifice being offered once makes it totally effective for us. And it really is the culminating point of what he's been trying to teach them here. As I, we ended up on Wednesday night, we said, and so, therefore, we're going to go to the application side of this. Now, it's been said that Hebrews is kind of organized like a sermon. And so, as we've been looking at the parts of this sermon, there are, have you ever heard a preacher, there's several, several points they want to make, they come back to them later and they, they reiterate that point, maybe talk about it a different way. We've been seeing Hebrews doing that a lot. We see themes that are repeated over and over in the first ten chapters. What normally happens at a good sermon at the end? Applications. The so what. Okay. This is the so what. And so what I think we see happening here in chapter 10, the Hebrew writer is turning to the so what. Now he's been saying some things all along. Like any good sermon would do, we would learn as we go. But he's really going to bring it home here in doing this. And so as we turn to chapter 10, beginning of verse 19, we have a big therefore that's there. And that therefore is certainly a culmination of almost everything he's been talking about since chapter 6. And really some of the things he talked about before he took his little interlude where he said, you all need to strengthen your faith because there's things that you can't learn. You should have been more progressed in your faith than you are now. You need to strengthen yourself. Now he turns to those applications, those things that he wants to make sure they understand. And even if you and I have not identified really well with people who are pulled back into a Jewish system, we certainly identify with people who are pulled back into the world. And so as we think about how the Hebrew writer makes applications here, let's also think about for us how we make applications, and we'll have some time to talk about that today. These, uh, these six verses, I've kind of organized in this way. Uh, there are premises that he makes, there are, which are really just statements. He makes two statements that says, we have something. And then he has a conclusion based on that. Because we have this, let us do something. Okay? So, Hebrews 10, verse 19. We have what? Because of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus and the fact he is so superior to everything that we could put before him. We have confidence. We have boldness. Now, we think about that sometimes in our, as we should have a bold faith, a confident faith. But what does the Hebrew writer say we have boldness to do? Enter the Holy of Holies. Enter the Holy of Holies. And what has he said already that that is? Jesus' blood. It's, what is the Holy of Holies? There's no temple God. today. The Father. It's where the Father's at. Where is the Father? Yeah. Okay, this word boldness, does this, does this, does this mean arrogance? No. Hey, I'm here. I deserve my stuff, God. Is that it? No? What is it? Courage. Courage? Confidence. Confidence. I'm assured. I believe what he said. <clears throat> Jesus has invited me there, so I'm going to go. Right? We have boldness to do that. Did the Jewish people have boldness to enter the Holy of Holies mm -hmm. in their temple? No. That got them killed, right? Mm -hmm. They couldn't do that. Okay, so that's the first thing that we have. What's the second thing that we have? Verse 21. 
great high priest. We have a great high priest. Again, one of our themes from one of our chapters, right, that we've been talking about. We have this boldness because we have a great high priest, and he's over what? The house of God. What is the house of God? The church. This is his people, right? We, we, we talked about this. Remember in chapter 2 about Jesus was the son who's now over the house? It's not only the son, he's our high priest. He has shed his own blood with the perfect sacrifice only offered once. And we have that. And, and another thing about that, we have a high priest that we have confidence in, as opposed to the high priest that they've had over the years who were not perfect. Right. His sacrifice was perfect because he was perfect, right? And therefore, we have total confidence in this high priest, unlike people that they would have experienced as Jews that are here. And so, these are the things we have because of who Jesus is, and because if we are His followers, if we have done His will, God wants us to have these things. Okay? So they're, they're being shaken by persecution. They're being shaken by things that would make them have what? Confidence or doubts? Doubts. Persecution brings up that. Is this worth it? Can I make it? Are there times in your life and my life that we ask this? Is this worth it? Can I make it? It can be struggling with sin. It can be struggling with friendships. It can be struggling with health issues. There's all kinds of things that would attack or make us want to go, is my faith really, is it worth me serving God? Okay? So because we, he tells us and he reassures them who they were struggling with those things with persecution, he says, because we have all this, let us do what? Draw near. Draw near. How? The, thing says, the, the slide says full assurance. What else does the scripture say there? First of all, true heart. Sincere heart. True heart. Faith. Faith. We, where are we drawing near to? True heart. To God Himself. To God Himself. When it, when it says, uh, uh, and our bodies washed with pure water. We'll talk about that, that in a second. Maybe. We'll talk about that in a second. Good, good thought. Oh. I'll hold it just one second, but we'll get there. Okay. We, we, we'll get there. So let, let's, let's draw near to a pure, a full assurance of faith. Let's draw near to God. What did God want with the Israelites in that long discussion we had about Jericho, where they rejected something that He offered them? What did He want with them? But for them to share what? His... It's one of our chapter things. If they would have entered Jared, if they would have entered um, Canaan when God asked them to, what would they have shared together in Canaan with God? His, his peace, his rest. And what we talked about that was? That's a relationship with God. Let us draw near. Why can we draw near to God? He wants us there. He wants us to draw near. He wants us to be in inside of that relationship. And so, yes, when we talk about our bodies washed. Our, heart, our conscience sprinkled is number one, right? We're sprinkled from an evil conscience. So what when, what does sprinkling bring to your mind if you're an Old Testament student? Blood. Sprinkling the blood. That was part of the sacrifice, right? So what, what did Jesus' sacrifice provide us? It cleansed our conscience. Remember we talked about last week, 
Both bulls, bulls and goats, there was a lot of evidence that people's conscience went to the, That really wasn't a sacrifice that made sense to people. That would actually absolve me of my sin. There's no doubt about this sacrifice. Our conscience can be clean, and our bodies washed with pure water. There's kind of two schools of thought on that. The most obvious one, um, Margie, is baptism. It's there. There is some there is some belief that this could be a saying that God has made us both clean inside and outside. It might just be a turn of phrase, like inside and out. So hard to decide which, but uh, he's really you know we know that baptism is not for the washing of the body. In First Peter. Second Peter, I forgot where to write that. Which one of the? So it's not that we're just taking a bath; we were baptized. We're just submission. God makes us clean whenever we we meet the blood of Jesus, and I think that's the way to really think about that. However, you take that exact phrase in doing that. So first, we have to draw near. What's even if we have drawn near to God, what's going to start pulling at us? The world. So what do we have to do after we draw near? Verse twenty. Hold fast. Hold fast. And what do we hold fast to? Hope. Our hope. Now, does this does, does this does this ring something that true of uh, don't drift away? Does this ring something true? Hope is an anchor of the soul. Here's a summary verse of what he's been trying to tell them. You've got to hold fast to that relationship with God, whatever you're being threatened with. It's it's not a threat that's big enough that God can't. Ultimately, that you, he can't have this relationship with you that brings you the peace and comfort that you have. So we have to, to hold fast uh, into that because, because if we don't hold on to that relationship and get pulled out of it, where are we going to go? There is no hope that's like this. And then the, the third one, I think, is a really interesting application that in some ways hasn't directly been made yet in doing this. And what's the third thing that we're to do because we have this boldness and we have this great high priest in verse 24 and 25. Consider one, Consider one another <coughs> to stir up love and good works. Wow. Who else am I responsible for keeping their relationship with God besides me? You. My family. And everybody who has that relationship with God, the Hebrew writer lays that concern on all of our shoulders that, wow, because we know this, the world's going to pull back at people, and there's going to be, there's, it's going to be hard, it's going to be a struggle, what we need to do is think about not only how we hold on, how we draw near, how we hold on, but how you draw near and you hold on. Can I help you hold on? What can I do to stir that up in, inside of you? And... Wow, that's a beautiful thought for a congregation of people, isn't it? Dealing with that? Yeah, <clears throat> My version says, in response to all he has done for us, let us outdo each other in being helpful and kind to each other and doing good. Can you imagine if we were all trying to outdo? I mean, like the world would be crazy if yeah. everybody was trying to outdo yeah. kindness and love to each other. Yeah, it's not, it's not a contest to get bring to me, right? It's that... Wow, this person did this for me. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna, you know, what can I? How can I pass that on? It's yep. that total fault. You're a constant pay it forward. It really is. I really want us to stop here and dwell on this a minute, because when when we read Hebrews 10:25, and we hear sermons taught when Hebrews 10:25 is there, when we read this verse, how is this often read? 
It's, well, it's correct way to read it, by the way. It's often read as a as a um, encouragement to always be at every service. You know, it, it is talking about assembly, and it it does it's an right. application. It is good because is forsaking the assembly a, a, a problem that they had? Apparently, as a matter of some some people aren't showing up. Okay, and I'm sure, and I've heard this over and over again, and it's it's an appropriate application of this. You need to be here. I need to be here whenever we can be here. And we need to actually examine ourselves. Are we, are we doing things that maybe we could actually choose something different instead of being here? Now, those are all things we, we could go and talk about. But don't forsake the assembly as a matter of some is. And it's really more important you see this day approaching. We'll talk about that in a minute. But here's the question. Is that the actual sentence that the writer of Hebrews wrote? I think the meaning is a whole lot deeper. Uh, it, it has to do with being together with your brothers and sisters to encourage one another, and you can do that at the assembly. But there's a whole there. there there's what? Uh, how many hours other in, in the course of a week that you could be together? You could be encouraging one another and doing things, and that's there also. Look at the first part of the sentence. When he, when we actually read the entire sentence that he wrote, what's the assembly about? When we read the whole sentence, when we add verse 24 here, considering one another. To stir up the love of good works. Okay. How, how do we think about that? How do we think about that? We assemble to stir up love and good works in each other because this day is approaching. Again, we'll talk about that in maybe a second and give maybe some thoughts about what that means. But let's let's run to Jennifer's thought. If we this Sunday morning woke up and said I'm coming to services today, and I have an opportunity to, to try to help someone hold on to God. I'm, I'm looking for that opportunity to figure out how, how I do that. Does that feel different than, I sure hope I get something out of church today. What's the way we get something out of church according to this one? We give God we give. That's right. So here's here's a question. I want us to I want to just think about this for a minute because I think this is a really important point to do that. What do we give when we assemble? So Encourage. Throw it out. What do we give? Encourage. And I can also say what should we give? I can't talk in the same time. Keep going. Well, ourselves. Support. Ourselves. We give ourselves. What else? Support. Love. Share the. Support. Support. Share the love. Love. What else do we give? Confidence. Confidence. Advice. Friendship. Okay, keep going. What else can we give? So here we a real quick question. Who gets the most time at church services to do this? The preacher. Preacher and teachers. We should think. It was actually easy for me to think about this today, so I've, I've got some things that I think were actually very useful in my life that I can teach you, so I feel like I'm encouraging and doing that. It's a great thing about being a preacher. Tom had a fantastic lesson today that he kind of had a special way to give back today. We know Sean, will, will, we know how Sean does the job in doing all that and doing all that. 
I'm sitting in the pew. How do I do this? I don't, I don't get the stadium. Yet. I, don't, I don't get the podium today. We, we share our energy. When you get to be my age, it's so much easier <laughs> just to stay at home. <laughs> Absolutely. That encouragement is about, is about wanting to be a place because you, you're, you're able to actually give something back to someone and share what, you, what you've learned. But the fact that she's here is an encouragement to Presence. me. Absolutely, absolutely. When, you know, when we think about this, this confidence, it's like, wow. There's some Christians here that are over 90 that have made it that entire time. They've had stuff thrown at them in life. And when you get to, if you actually sat together and got to know them and got to share some things about what they've had thrown at them in life, okay. I think I can handle some stuff here because of that. Well, like, like with my job, I work, I work mornings. But every Sunday, I give up a day's pay to be here. We actually give it. We, we actually can. There's finances that we actually give to the treasury, but the, but there's there's really lost opportunity, right? But that opportunity is where in the world. And when we give up the world, well, for encouraging someone else, what happens? Uh, people notice, I guess. God notices, right? Well, he understands we make that. Well, my point is, I mean, um, is it worth my soul to just go to work and skip? Hit? You know, and, uh, that's a fantastic. And sometimes I have to, more often than not, I have to offer forty bucks or something for someone to take my hours so I can be here. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's an encouragement. You know, I think people maybe didn't know that you're that you're that's how you're managing. That's an encouragement to people here in the class today. Please. I think all of these are fantastic, but I also think that you need to open your home and get together outside of <coughs> worship. We can assemble and get to know people. I mean, you can talk to people here, but I don't know how much you really get to know somebody unless you actually are having them in a one-on-one -on -one or a group. Excellent, 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 excellent. You get, to, you get to know people so that when you see them here and you know the struggles that they're going through, it, it adds to that encouragement that you feel from <coughs> seeing them there. I mean, you know some of these folks that just have so much going on in their life, but who's first? Worshiping God's first. So we give examples. Mitch? I'm just going to say that um, these are wonderful first, and we are encouraged one another. How many times have we heard, unfortunately, you know, I didn't get anything out of that lesson today. You know the guy spoke mm -hmm. way too long at the Lord's Supper table. You know that the temperature in here is just way not right. You know that, well, I don't see that in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 at all. If we made a list of those things. It's not about I or you or me. It's about our brothers and sisters. If we show up, if this is question number one in our mind, what do I get? If we show up, we actually build that list of I get hot, I get bored, you know. Pew's uncomfortable. Pew's uncomfortable, uh, you know. I, I, I don't really know the person next to me. They didn't speak to me, right? We, we can write that entire list. Of, now, as soon as, with my message, as soon as I come and I assemble with this as my intent, now what do I get? A lot. I get this back, right? I get this all back. And so, this is not, this isn't the hammer verse to use to bang someone over the head 
for their not being here. Be here. But it, it's it's the encouraging verse to if you would show up and participate in this, trust me, what you're going to get back is a whole lot more than a few hours that I get to give up, you know, my Friday night in the home to have somebody over, you know, to do wow, I'm going to get so much more of that conversation. I'm going to get so much more by seeing that person who's struggling with cancer show up, desperate to get here, you know, but that they just got it made it through a treatment enough to feel like they can be here and they can actually sit up and participate in services. That's encouraging. So to I get all get all those things. Let's see hands everywhere. So now, this now. helps us forget our aches and pains for the time that we're Absolutely. here. So it's therapeutic as well. So I actually get <laughs> peace that passes understanding, yeah, exactly. right? I think going back to what Mitch was just saying about like with some sermons it could initially seem like, oh, that was not for me or whatever. But first of all, everything, even if it's just a reminder, if you've heard something similar seven hundred times, it doesn't matter, right? Like that's kind of the whole purpose. But absolute worst case, I think you should at least be able to get something out of it in the sense that like I mean there's many times when I come and I'm like, Wow, they read my mind. This is exactly what I needed. So maybe it's not what you felt you needed right that moment, but there's so many other people in the room who might feel completely opposite. Like that's exactly what they needed. So just Acknowledging that. When I give attention to God's Word, I get I get application from God's Word, unexpected application, right? Just like when I give attention to my brother and sister who's sitting around me, I sometimes find out something I just didn't know, and just makes me appreciate it more. And boy, it makes me go, no, next yeah, next time I'm, I'll be here. You know, I'm not I'm not letting that happen. Joan, I have an example of someone who did not understand this. The, the, this, these two verses there was an elderly couple who was attending here way back in the day and I won't mention names but they did, they believed that when you came to church you did not socialize they came in they sat down, they heard the sermon they left immediately and, and John and I felt so bad that they didn't understand the whole purpose of getting together was what, what you said. It's in order to stir one another to love and good works. I know. I mean, it's, and it's you know, if you sit and you usher some, you, you can never, I mean, it's, it's, it's the wrong thing to judge by what happens on you one particular Sunday because things happen with people coming in and going. But over time, you do notice that there are people that they weren't the only ones that had that opinion. It's and like, they, they told us this. I'm here because I'm supposed to be. I'm here because I'm supposed to be. I'm going as quick as I can be. And, you know, the sad thing is, regardless of the state of the faith, look at what they've missed. What they've missed. But not, you know, it's like, it's like contributing to the treasury. We put whatever we can into the pot. We get back the fullness of everything that comes out from what that does and the work that we do here. And it's, that's not even the most important treasury, I think, when we think about this. It's the treasury of our work for each other here. Margie and Mitch. Well, when, when I, the elders announced, you know, that we were supposed to read one chapter a week, five, five, five times. Seriously, I'm supposed to read this one chapter five times. But, you know, I found that every time I read it, I learned something. I learned something from it every single time. And it's been wonderful to do that. Because I... Mm -hmm. 
No, it, it changed my. No, that, and that's that's an encouragement. It's that, what you know, it is. It's wonderful. How many years have you been reading the Bible? <laughs> right. Well, let's see. How old am I? The bottom line oh is, gosh. that's an encouragement when yes, someone goes, is. I've been reading the Bible all these years. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I read Acts you know, five times this week. Here's what I picked up. Mitch, and then we'll one more, then we'll, then we'll kind of go. Just one quick thing. Uh, sometimes we're pretty good at stirring one another up. <laughs> <laughs> but not to love and good works. But not for love and good works. There's yeah. a big difference. There's a big difference. Absolutely. Yeah, one more. Uh, just going off what she said, like, I can watch a TV show and I watch it ten times and learn something new from the TV show or, oh, I didn't notice that in the background. So when you think about all that the Bible contains, literally everything that we need to know for our eternity, like there's no way you can ever know everything. No, that, that, and, that, and that's right. And that's, that's part of this because guess what? As we come and as we assemble, Every Sunday, we're a slightly different person. We've hopefully grown some that week. We have something new on our mind. Something new is applicable that really, last Sunday, you know, it's hard to see Sunday to Sunday. You can see it year to year, though, can't you? You've been looking at this. So, and the reason we do this, and we're going to do this really quickly, is because you see a day approaching. A lot of things about this. So it could be the day of judgment. That's certainly one valid way to think about this. For them, they're, they're in persecution. could be a day when persecution is coming. It could actually mean that the, we see the day coming when we're mature and able to handle this without, without doubts. I actually like to think about this as, by, with this way. We prepare each other by being together for whatever hits us that's coming in the future. And whether that be our own passing, whether it be Jesus coming back, whether that be a test of our faith, when's the time to be prepared for something? When it happens, now. now. And that's part of that. That's really what it's like because you need to be prepared for these things in the future. You have to be working on it now. That's how the Holy Spirit gets to work on it. Be together. And let that actually drive not only a couple of hours or three hours on a Sunday, but let it drive really the entirety of our lives. Who are we associating with? How are we actually getting encouragement and giving it's encouragement like, to all like, those around us? It's like in school, you know, when you have a test coming up. It's better to spend a week, a little bit each day, studying for it than cramming the night before. Yeah, worked out better for me. That's for that's for sure. And to do that, it even worked out better when I actually studied the whole semester. But yeah, but you're right. That, that's that, that's that's exactly right. Now, it's the Hebrew writer. Um, a very common convention is in the Old Testament, and we see this a lot in the Hebrew writers writing to people who are familiar with Jewish, Jewish way of doing things. There's encouragement, and then there's a warning, and then there's encouragement again. So we've just had this encouragement. The, uh, be bold. Draw near. Help each other to get there. That's all. There's nothing about this conversation we had that hasn't been encouraging, right? Now he turns to the meeting in between the bread, maybe, on this, on this sandwich here. He says, but if we sin willfully after receiving a knowledge of the truth, what happens? If we sin willfully, and in this context, that's if we pull away from our faith in Jesus. If we if if we if we're afraid because of persecution or because of other things happening in our life, or because we just want to sin more than we want to, to follow Jesus, if we're afraid to commit to Jesus and we draw back, we fail to draw near, what have we actually done? What's he say here? Basically crucify them all over again. 
in a sense. So what are the words the Hebrew writer uses? If we sin willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, first thing is something. No more sacrifice. There is no more sacrifice. Why is that? Didn't Jesus sacrifice himself for everybody? Once for all. Once for all. And if we reject the sacrifice that was once for all, that was perfect, where what other sacrifice are we going to get? Not, did he say this before in Hebrews? Hebrews 6. He's just summarizing what he's already told them. That if we pull away, there's nowhere to go. Can't go back. Nowhere to go. You've given up the sacrifice for sin. And when you've given up for the sacrifice for sin, what exists next? Verse 27. A fearful expectation of judgment. A terrible judgment, right? Uh, that, that's, 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 going to, that's going to be coming. Now, you and I all know people who have pulled away and have fallen away. Were they thinking about this? Have they ever talked to people later when they've, they've, when they've done, after they've done this? Most of them end up convincing themselves, well, there's not really a hell. You know, God's not really going to do this. God is love. And, and all, these things, all those things are true about God. But this is also true about God. If you reject His perfect sacrifice and you reject having that intimate relation with Him that He wants, if you reject entering the Holy of Holies through the blood of Jesus, ultimately, this is what you have. Whether you admit it or not, this is what a fearful expectation of, of what is coming. And, and look at that. How bad is that going to be? How does He make that point to these Jews of how bad this judgment is going to be? Right. So if two or three witnesses said you broke the law in the Old Testament, what happened to you? You're stoned. You're stoned to death. So if that happened in the Old Testament, which is this perfect, imperfect law, this covenant that's been thrown away, what's he say? You, you don't want to imagine. You do not want to even imagine how bad this will be if you reject God on this. So it's a worse punishment that's there. He ends up in verse 30 by saying it will be vengeance and judgment from the police, right? Vengeance and judgment from the elders. It will be vengeance and judgment from the church. All your friends in the church are rejecting you. Now, where is the vengeance and the judgment going to come from for this person who rejects Christ? Hell. It's going to be a hell. It's going to be, who's going to pronounce it? God Himself. And he ends up this day with, I think, one of the most, the most frightening verses in, the, in, in, the, in our Bibles. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I want you to think about this. And think about this. I just... We're, we're not going to compare this to those who actually don't know the Gospel yet because this is solely about people who have rejected the Gospel after once being believers. He says this is like falling into the hands of God. Compared to what? what? What's he admonished them that they have boldness to do if they keep their faith and draw near? Instead of falling into God's hand, what do we get to do? Approach God with confidence. We, don't, we won't, if we keep our faith, we won't fall into God's hands. We actually boldly enter. He's invited us in. That's not, that's not the language he uses. This is the language of someone who goes, I don't want to tell them. They're going to fall into God's hands. And it's a fearful, fearful thing to fall into God's hands. Now, if I come to services going, 
I don't want any of my brothers and sisters that I know to ever fall into God's hands for His punishment. How hard am I going to work at this? Right? And if I'm in a group that is working that hard at it, what's going to happen for me? They're going to be working for me too to help me and to help me make sure that doesn't happen. And, that, and those are the. That's really the the part of this. He has to remind them that this is what will happen if you reject. <coughs> This is not where you want to go. But you need to know. This is exactly what... So whatever you tell yourself about there is no God, the God's love, He'd never punish people, whatever you <coughs> try to do to put that out of your mind and not think about this, you can put it out of your mind. But you're going to end up falling into God's hands. Uh, at, at the, certainly at that, at that day of judgment and looking at that. <coughs> now, go ahead, Mark. I, I just... My, uh, my version says it's a terrifying thing. And that to me, that is the thing, a bigger word, older word than fearful. And that yeah. does terrify me. It is. And <laughs> our, our Bible didn't pull any punches, right? right? We should be terrified of yeah. approaching God without Jesus on our side. Does this also apply, can apply say, to local Christians that need to step up their game? It certainly uh, when we think about the Hebrews, and we're talking about here in a minute, they are people who show faith, but then they're they're showing doubts, and that would actually be that that kind of they're in the process of moving away. They haven't gone away yet. He's still able to talk to them, but they're in the process of moving away from Jesus. And he's like, no, and that's what's so important about us knowing each other. When do we pick up the signs of somebody who might be falling away? Less less attendance. We can see we see things like that. Well, there are other signs if you know somebody, right? Have you ever known somebody who's falling away? And watched them fall away? Yeah. There are signs. How do we actually intervene on that? It's just something that we think about. So he gives them hope. He, he gives them one last encouragement here. And this encouragement is actually going to build toward chapter 11. Where not only does he give us encouragement, he gives us examples of people who've done the very thing that he's encouraging them and us to do. So he says, recall the former days. Verses 32 through 36. Recall the former days. What did he ask them to recall? Well, first of all, what were the, about who were they to recall something? About the Israelites or about his teaching? What were they to recall something about? That they're evidently they've been persecuted before. About themselves, right? About themselves. Yeah. They're actually to recall their own past life. Their own things that they have already overcome. When we have doubts in our faith, not only are we looking for these people around us to help in doing this, here's what this writer is actually, remember when, okay? So remember when what? What, did, what were they asked to recall? Verses 32 through 36. Basically, when they made it through different kinds of struggles and the things that they did, and they did it joyfully. They had struggles, right? And they, they did it joyfully. Did they have persecution? Since they, they had tribulation, that's just another way for, for saying of uh, persecution. And if they personally didn't have it, what was true about them? They were with people. They were with people. They were companions to people that were getting more severe. They saw how those people actually made it through in doing that. Who else did they encourage? Not just companions and friends. The, the author. The author. Who was in jail at the time? And many people say this proves it must be Paul. Paul wasn't the only 
person in the New Testament that was thrown into jail, so we don't know that still. But whoever it was was in jail, and these people were active encouragers of that person. And what else happened to them as Christians? They had things taken from them, their goods. The plundering of their goods. And you accepted that. You knew that, that you have already felt a consequence of you being a Christian. Now, in these last minutes, think, when we think about this, have you and I felt consequences for being a Christian in our life? We've had some examples shared today. You don't have to share more. Have, have friendships with others been, been lost because we're Christians and they've people won't accept it? Has ridicule ever happened? As you watch the news more and more every day, so who, who seems to be under attack? You know, from from people who don't uh, who don't like the values that Christians have. We see this over and over again. We may experience what they've already experienced here. His point here is, it's not like you haven't made this had this happen with you before. You haven't made it through. Remember how far you've come. There's another way of saying this. Remember what you've overcome. Don't give up now. You've already proved you can do this. You've, 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 made, you've, you've made this investment. You know the relationship you have with God. Don't let the present <coughs> suffering that you're doing make you forget what you've already overcome and forget that if you hold, confident, if you hold confidently, you stand fast and hold on to that hope. You will overcome this. Yeah. I think that's even another reason to make sure you're here and around people because you might at home feel alone in your struggles, but as soon as you're around everybody else, it's that reminder that even if they don't necessarily have the same struggles, they too are trying their best to be committed to eternity. I think, I think that's right. I mean, <clears throat> let's finish this up and then we have a minute and a minute, and then I'll, I'll talk about one more thing. I, um, Go here. What qualities would allow them to remember this, to hang in there this next time? What two qualities in, the, in verse 36 is he talked about? They should do what? Stay. Endure. Endure. They should endure. They should stay confident. Of course. Confidence <coughs> in the one who made the promises and a willingness to endure to receive those promises, not only one day in heaven, but as we go. Those are the things that help us when we're in the middle of a struggle. See, this is a struggle we should already prepared for. We're in the middle of one. One of the things we have to do is remember how far we've come, remember who made the promise, and remember that He values endurance. That things aren't necessarily over quickly, but that's okay, because the Lord knows when we endure, and we, and we look at that. And so... He ends, this, he ends this chapter up really introducing the next chapter. The just will live by faith. And we're going to find out exactly what that is in his mind in chapter 11. We're going to talk about that for the next two lessons here. But he says, why do we need endurance? He who's coming will come and he won't tarry. Now does that mean the second coming? Does that mean get rescue from this? He really doesn't pin that down. The, the bottom line is, God's not going to let us suffer more than we can handle. So just keep handling it. Because he, whatever happens, quickly enough, God's going God's to be there to help us from doing that. And then he says, remember, 
If anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. By the way, these verses are really a match together of Habakkuk, the second chapter, verses 3 and 4, and similar verses in Isaiah, verse 26. And really what the author has done is summarize those passages here to remind them from the Old Testament that God has always said you have to endure. God has always said you have to live by faith. And God has always said, I don't have pleasure in those that draw back. And then he says, in a declaration of the writer together with all the Hebrews, he says this statement, we are not those who draw back. We are not those who draw back. We are the ones who believe to the saving of the soul. I thought they were having problems. How can you say this? What's the point of this of this this conclusion here? Stay the course. <laughs> Who's got to tell us this every day? I'm not going to draw back. Well, I think I just gave you the answer. I have to tell myself this every day, right? I am not a person who falls away. I am not a person who, who, who relinquishes my... I'm not one who, who fails to get up when I'm knocked down by sin or I'm not going to... Why? Because I believe the one who made the promise is able to keep me in doing this. We are not those people. Therefore, we're not going to act like those people. I mean, that's really the conclusion of this, of, of, of this great chapter here is that we're going to live by faith just like these people we're going to talk about here next. We're not going to do this. Have you made that agreement with yourself? I haven't made that agreement with myself sometimes. I get, I get shaky if I don't make that agreement with myself. Well, here's some, here's some clues, you know. And maybe this is some of the things we talk about. Remember, we're not people who fall back. We're not people who, go, who, uh, who give up. Jan. And also, um, and I know he talks about this <coughs> later in chapter 12, but it says, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven, that focus. <clears throat> we don't quit because whatever is happening here is nothing compared to what's going to heaven's going to be like. So we want that, right? Whatever, whatever he asks me to do here, I'm willing to endure it because I want the saving of my soul. I'm that kind of a person. I want to. Boy, that's that's a that's powerful self-talk. Can we also say that Jesus is the perfect example of living by that? Absolutely. That's why he was a perfect sacrifice, he, right? He endured all of that, even to the point of death. He didn't know that. We're actually going to get to that in chapter 12. That's exactly that's exactly what the, the, the application that he ends up making with this, which is why he was a pleasing son, right? He Remember what we talked about? Jesus lived to do God's will. And he always knew that's making that sacrifice was God's will. He, his life, both as a human and I think his existence as God, was to do God's will. And when we have that same, I might not be perfect at it, I might fall, but I am not going to fail to get up. When we have that, when we have that, there is nothing that can, as, the Roman, as Paul says in Romans, nothing can separate from God when we have that attitude. So, great class, appreciate everybody. Great